Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Today, we're going to be hearing about one of the most influential leadership and business books that's been written across the last half century. That book is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We're going to be hearing from one of the executives at Franklin Covey as they are re-releasing The Seven Habits for its 30th anniversary. Many of you have probably read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but if you have not, this is a great introduction to the content of the book. And if you have read it, this is going to be a great refresher and a reminder of why The Seven Habits continues to be such an influential book even three decades after its original release. I'll introduce you to today's guest right after this. Do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the MindScan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the MindScan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the MindScan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today is Franklin Covey's Chief People Officer, a Seven Habits expert and co-author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. He has more than 30 years of experience in human resources, talent development, executive recruiting, sales, and marketing. He's been with Franklin Covey for more than two decades, where he led the development of many of Franklin Covey's core offerings and world-renowned content. Currently, he's responsible for global talent development of employees in over 40 offices, reaching 160 countries. Here is Todd Davis. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Uh, I better be. (laughs) What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Okay, that's a great question. I would... uh... I'll go with the saying that uh, I think most of your listeners are familiar with, but uh, it, it compels me to this day, and that is just from Gandhi, where I'll, I'll summarize it, but it, it's his lesson about being the change that you seek in the world. And I, I think about that all the time, uh, that when, when I'm feeling overwhelmed or feeling challenged, where I wonder if I'm making a difference or you know how influential I'm being or helpful I'm being as a leader... It, it all starts with you and exactly what you're modeling. So I would say, uh, just in short, be the change. Be the change that you are seeking or looking for in others. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? I would say, first, a leader is humble. 
a leader. I've met too many leaders who are, are convinced or mistakenly convinced that they need to have all the answers or that they need to be not humble. And so I think, first of all, a leader uh, needs to be humble. I think a leader needs to be, they need to have empathy, empathetic. They, they need to take the time to understand where those who they're leading are. Not agree or disagree with them, but they need to understand them because you, you can't really have influence with someone unless you understand them first. So, so my second would be that they have to have empathy. And the third... The third is a leader needs to be credible. I'm I'm smiling here because I'm really working in a fourth by saying that. Because to be credible, you've got to have both character and competence. And so to be truly credible, I've got to have the, you know, the integrity and the character that inspires people to want to follow me. And then I've got to have the competence. I got to know what I'm talking about. I've got to have the experience in the particular area of expertise so that uh, people have some confidence in me and in, in, in my leadership. Hey, you know what? I'm okay with the fourth one because if you have someone who's clever enough to be able to figure out how to spin uh, one into two, I'm, I'm all about the bonus ones as well. So A leader also needs to be clever. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? Oh, I love that question because I began a lot of my leadership uh, coaching and presentations with this. And the question that I like to ask is, do you want to be a great leader or do you want your team led by a great leader? And, and some might question, is there really a difference there? And it's very subtle, but it's very impactful. In other words, if I wake up in the morning and I say, I want to be a great leader, well, then I am most likely going to do a lot of really good things that day and, and get a lot of things accomplished. But if I wake up every morning and I say, I want to make sure my team is led by a great leader, then it shifts my focus off of me and onto the team. You know, what does Joe need to really uh, reach his full potential? Or what does Madison need to knock this project that she's working on out of the park? So in the process, I, of course, end up being this great leader I want to be. But that's not my intent. My intent is to make sure my team is led by a great leader. And if I have that mindset, as I call it, I have that paradigm, well, then it drives everything I do to ensure that my team is getting from me exactly what they need to reach their full potential. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? One that has had and it continues to have a significant impact on me is by, and I'm proud to say this, my, my good friend, Seth Godin, who has written many best-selling books. But the one that stands out in when you ask me that question is called Lynchpin. It's all about, uh, I think the subtitle in it is, Are You Indispensable to Your Organization? And the, the book just centers around really where are you spending your time and your efforts and are you doing those things that have the most significant impact for good on the organization and what the organization does? So in other words, are you indispensable? Are you a critical component to what you do? And, and if not, what kinds of things can you be doing so that you're really contributing to uh, the end result and the outcome of what the organization is trying to accomplish? If you could get every listener to start doing something this week that would help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? To become a better leader, I, I would say there's a phrase that I use a lot when I'm coaching our leaders and, and, and some of our clients, and that is meet, I say meet them where they're at. I'm in a leadership role and I've got to help move this initiative forward or I've got to help our team through change or I've got to help whatever it is. 
I think we, we try and speed the process up and, and we need to slow down and meet people where they're at. I've got to take the time to understand, you know, what's on your mind. And, and I might have five people who all have the same title, but they're in very different places at the time that, you know, change is going on or whatever. One might be, you know, has little kids at home. One might be taking care of an alien parent. One might be going through a divorce or some other big life change. And so I think it's important for leaders to meet people where they're at before you then start giving vision and direction and, and all of that. That would be the one thing I'd ask people to, to do to help them become better leaders. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer there, but I will just say from, from my experience and what's yielded me greater results is to always ask why not. I think too often we, we end up focusing on why this won't work or we've tried this before or that's never going to happen. And, and while that may be grounded in, in truth, you know, our experiences, I think to ask the question, why not? Or why not this time? Or why not look at it differently? Or why not consider, you know, our CEO asks a great question, which I love. When we're working on a problem or a situation, he will often say, okay, what if it were illegal not to solve this? And we all laugh because we're so used to him saying that, but it forces this out of the box thinking. We've been focused on trying to solve a problem and we've come up with, you know, some really uh, logical ways to do that, but we're still not arriving at, at solving the problem. And so Bob, our CEO, will say, what if it were illegal not to solve this? It forces us to start thinking in different ways. And, and we kind of throw out reason and say, okay, let's just get out of the box here for a minute and think if we had to solve this, put it, take everything else off the table. If we had to solve this, what kinds of things, as outlandish as, as some of them might sound, what kinds of things would we do? And so back to your question, when you say, better to ask why or why not. For me, why not forces that creative, imaginative thinking that we may not have been using before. Well, Todd, thank you so much for the insight you've already shared with us today. We're here today to talk about a new book release. And I say a new book release, it's really a re-release of a classic. And so often on this podcast, we will interview authors of books and these books are coming out, their first editions, and very interesting topics, but you don't really know in the long run whether or not they're going to be a classic or successful, but today is different because Franklin Covey is re-releasing The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is a business and leadership classic, and we're going to be talking about that today and what's in this re-release. First of all, I'd love to hear from you, what was it that that caused the organization to begin thinking about this re-release on the 30th anniversary of the original print date of The Seven Habits. Great, grateful for the opportunity to talk about this. So I say this without, without arrogance, but with confidence that every listener has most likely heard of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it doesn't surprise me, but it, it, it still makes me smile because of how powerful this work is. When Stephen Covey first wrote this book, put together the book 30 years ago, it in very short order, became a bestseller, and 30 years later remains on several bestseller lists today. And of course, different uh, bestselling lists have their rules about how long a book can stay on there. But as far as the guidelines of what usually causes a book 
to to be put on a bestseller list, whether it's New York Times or Wall Street Journal or or whatever. It's the volume of books sold. And so I will say this with all humility, and I can say that because I didn't write the book, that based on the number of sales on a weekly basis from which I, I still get and the leaders of our company still get a report, it still exceeds those those numbers that causes new books, like you mentioned, to be placed on, on these lists. When Stephen first wrote the book, uh, put together the book, he'd been a teacher for many years. He, he always made it a point, you know, you talk about starting with humility. He always made it a point to share that he did not invent the seven habits. What he did was identify those principles of those individuals and teams and organizations that seemed to be effective year after year, over and over again. And he studied them and saw what was it, what is it that they're doing that others aren't doing on a consistent basis. And that's how he discovered, as he liked to say it, discovered the principles that make up the seven habits of highly effective people. And because of what I just shared, that this this continues to ha- have such a profound impact on the world, simply evidenced by the, the number of sales every week of this book, we thought it very appropriate to have a grand celebration on the on the 30th year of its publication. So that was the reasoning behind this. And you've talked about this a little bit already, I guess, but what do you think it was that made Seven Habits so influential and especially so immediately influential? And then I guess on top of that, consistently influential in people's lives. Yeah, great question, Josh. It's because it is based on principles. Principles of effectiveness. You know, we could have a... We could have a, a three-day discussion on, on what principles are and don't want to get caught up on that. But principles of effectiveness, principles in general, they're timeless. You know, they've been around. If, I, if I'm not known for telling the truth, well, then I'm probably going to have pretty low trust with, with you and, and other people with whom I associate, correct? Absolutely. And was that true 100 years ago? Yes. And will that probably be true 100 years from now? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so these principles of effectiveness are timeless. Is that principle of trust and trustworthiness, uh, while it's true here in, in where I reside in the United States, is it true over in Egypt? Is it true in Japan? Is it true in Africa? It's true anywhere in the world. So it's universal. It's self-evident. Whether I, whether I want to believe that or not, it's still going to happen. That's the, that's the concept of a principle. And so these principles, when they were first published, as you asked, and, and up to here 30 years later, everyone relates to them because they're principles. It's not something we have to convince people of. They are, they are true, they're universal, and they're timeless. And I believe that's why they, they were so immediately influential and powerful, and they continue to be today. So earlier you mentioned Seth Godin and his book Lynchpin, and he's one of those people that whenever he comes out with a book, you have a pretty good idea that it's going to be gold. And the truth is anything with a Covey name on it or Franklin Covey is kind of the same way, at least in my mind. When it has a certain stamp on it, when it says Franklin Covey or has the Covey name, I have a good sense that it's going to be good. And I think it's kind of because of what you just said, which is based on principles. But could you give us a little bit of an explanation of what Franklin Covey is and what you do in that organization? Because I think a lot of people probably are familiar with the name, but it may not be an organization that people really know exactly what it's all about. 
Great question. I appreciate you asking, Josh. And and it has changed, like most organizations, as it has evolved over time. In fact, I will run into people where when I'm traveling around the world and and a cab driver or somebody will ask me what I do, and I say I work for Frank the company, oh, I love that company. Now, what do they do? (laughs) And and it's a great thing because people, and again, I, I say this with humility, People recognize the brand, but our brand is much bigger <laughs> than, than we are in certain areas of the world. So they recognize and associate Franklin Covey with integrity and with something good and with character, but, but many don't often know what we do. And that's, a, that's honestly a nice problem to have because it gets you in a lot of doors because they think, okay, this, this is a good company, but I can't remember exactly what they do. Franklin Covey started out as a as a Leader, well, the Covey portion, because we're the merger of several companies, but primarily Covey Leadership Center, which was a privately held company started by Stephen Covey, and then Franklin Quest, which became a publicly held company started by Hiram Smith and the, the planner, the Franklin Day planner, which many of the world are familiar with. And we are the merger of those companies. So, so we are today, we, we, we no longer are, although we're associated with it, we're no longer in the plan or the product business. There is an individual uh, product or a consumer business called Franklin Covey Products. And they're a privately held company and we're great partners with them and associated with them. But Franklin Covey, the publicly held company today, is a global company specializing in performance improvement. What we do is help organizations and the teams within those organizations achieve results that require a change in human behavior. So to summarize, I would say that we are the experts, we are the world experts in changing or helping to change human behavior. And if you ask people, you know, what portion of their job involves getting people to do things differently, every hand goes up. (laughs) And also every hand goes up when you say, how easy is that to do? Because, you know, you think about how hard is it to change your own behavior, let alone influence or change someone else's. Well, that's what we do. We have tools and processes and systems to help change human behavior so that you can get organizations and teams within those organizations all focused on the organization's highest priorities. And does that tend to be larger events or is this consulting and workshops where you go into individual organizations and work with leadership teams or groups of people? Yes, <laughs> it's both. It is both. We, we go to the world through large conferences where we'll have a thought leader or a consultant delivering to many people at once. But it's, it's more specifically and, and, and more of, the, of the, the larger majority of the work we do is with organizations where, as you just suggested, we will go into organizations with our, our thought leaders and our consultants and work starting with their leadership team, understanding what their strategy is, what it is they're trying to accomplish, and then work with them and filter it on down through the organization, how we get everyone in the organization on board with that strategy, understanding what their role is and, and why you know what they're doing is linked to that larger goal, and then get everyone executing on the top priorities and goals of that organization. So the question I'm about to ask is one question that could probably take an hour or two hours to answer. So just go ahead and brace yourself for that. But 
the idea of this re-release in some way is celebratory, but I'm sure there's also an element of the opportunity of introducing this book to a new generation of people or people that have heard about it, but maybe it's just kind of been one of the things in the back of their mind and they've never actually purchased it or looked into it. But could you give us an overview of these seven habits? Absolutely. And, and I will just say this as I answer this question. They are as relevant today as they were 30 years ago when Stephen first wrote about them and and because of what we've already discussed, because they are principle-based and those principles, quite frankly, are now more relevant and important than, than ever. So so to go through, are, are you okay if I just walk through the seven habits and, and perhaps the principles that are tied to each one? Would that be helpful? Please do, yeah. Great. So habit number one is to be proactive. You know, one of the opposites of being proactive is to be a victim. And, and that's just the, that's that's a way of defining what proactivity is. It's to say, okay, wait a minute. Well, it's easy for me to say, well, I was born in a crummy circumstance or I didn't get the same opportunity somebody else did or I had this bad thing happen to me or or whatever. Those things may all be true. But the proactive person realizes that they are responsible for their for their own choices. You know, the, the, the common paradigm with habit one is that this is just how things are and there's not much I can do about it. The highly effective paradigm or mindset is to realize that, hey, wait a minute, I'm free to choose and I'm responsible for my own choices. I'm in charge of my, of my life. So that's habit one, be proactive. The principles that are at work in habit one are, are many, but, but some of them that jump to mind are the principles of responsibility, of choice, as I mentioned, accountability, initiative and resourcefulness. So that's that's what habit 1 is all about. Deciding that, you know, you're the captain of your ship. You you can you can live a life where everybody tells you what to do and and you can just kind of bounce around from one thing to the next or one person's preference to the next or you can take charge of your life. Habit number 2 is titled begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. A very common paradigm or mindset might be you know, I can't predict how my life will turn out, so I just kind of go with the flow. But a highly effective paradigm or mindset would be that clearly defining, you know, my mission, my purpose in life, what I want my life to be all about will make all the difference. So, you know, I referred to habit one, be proactive as, as saying I'm the captain of my ship. Well, if I'm the captain of my ship, habit two, begin with the end in mind is I got to chart my course. Okay, this is my life, so I've got to map out what it is I want to do with my life, where it is I want to go. The principles at work here, some of them are the principles of, of vision, of commitment, and of purpose. You know, what is it that I want my life to be all about? Habit three is to put first things first. Put first things first. This is, you know, the habit of personal management. A common paradigm might be that I spend my time on what, what is most urgent. And that seems very logical and it's something that we all do. You know, I gotta, I gotta put the fire out, that's what's urgent. The highly effective paradigm is I spend time on what's most important. So yes, while a fire comes up, I gotta put it out, but if I really spend time appropriately in habit three, then I'm, I'm spending thoughtful time in putting up smoke alarms. I'm spending thoughtful time in preventing as much as I can those urgencies that are about to come up. That's putting first things first. The principles at work here are focus, integrity, discipline, 
prioritization. You know, back to my analogy here, if habit one, be proactive, says I'm the captain of my ship, and habit two says begin with the end in mind, I got to chart my course. Well, then habit three says I got to set sail. I got to take action. Uh, so that's, that's habit three, putting first things first. Habit four is to think win-win. It's the habit of, of mutual benefit. You know, a very common paradigm is to think there's only so much there, and the more I, you get, the less there is for me. Kind of this, what we call a scarcity mentality. The highly effective paradigm is that there is plenty out there for everyone and even more to spare. It's this, this habit, as the, as the title suggests, truly of win-win. This, this principle that's at work here primarily is the principle of abundance, of mutual benefit, and of fairness. I don't know about you, but I will, I will experience weeks where I, and this might be a silly example, but I'll, I'll take somebody to lunch, um, buy their lunch, and then it seems like for the next three days, somebody buys my lunch or, or whatever. And, and, and again, it may be a, a silly analogy, but it's kind of the comparison of the more open we are and free we are to, to be concerned about the wins of others as well as our own wins, the world just seems to open up opportunities for us all the time. So habit four is think win-win. Habit five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. In one of your earlier questions, you asked me about the top three attributes that a leader should have. And I, I said that one of those would be empathy. That's what habit five is all about, the habit of empathic communication. You know, a common paradigm, a common mindset is that I got to make sure people understand my point of view. If I'm going to influence them, they got to know where I'm coming from and why I feel that way. The highly effective leader, a highly effective paradigm is that I have much greater influence with others if I truly take time to understand them first, to have empathy. The uh, principles at work in Habit 5 are many, but some of them are respect, you know, respect for the other person's opinion, mutual understanding, and courage. It all, it all revolves around empathy. Habit number six is to synergize. This is the habit of creative cooperation, I'll say. A common paradigm, and what we were all taught as we're growing up is, hey, let's compromise. We're taught that compromise is a good thing, and it is a good thing. But we, we, we sell ourselves short if we stop there. Because the highly effective mindset or paradigm is, hey, let's come up with something that's better than what either one of us has in mind. One plus one equals three or five or ten. Now, again, there may be certain situations where compromise is the best that we can get to. But if we will have the intent of coming up with what we call a third alternative, not your way, not my way, but a better way or a higher way, more times than not, we can come up, in fact, with that, with something far better than either one of us could have come up with on our own and, and not have the need to just compromise or settle. The principles at work in habit six are the principles of creativity and cooperation, diversity, you know, not just, not just tolerating, but welcoming, soliciting, looking for diverse thoughts and diverse ideas and diverse ways of doing things. And, and certainly humility. Got to have humility if we're going to put aside our great idea and say, wait a minute, let's hear what everybody has to say. Let's be open to doing something different than what I was just going to do my way. And then habit seven, this is the habit that keeps everything going. It's called sharpen the saw. And this is the habit of renewal. 
you know, a common paradigm or mindset is I'm just too busy today to take time for myself, to invest in myself, certainly my health, my body, my, my nutrition, but, but also my mind. I've got to be, you know, developing myself. But the common paradigm is that I'm too busy to do that. The highly effective paradigm is that I absolutely take time for myself every day because it then gives me the ability to do everything else. When, when you and I get on the airplane and they go through the safety precautions and they talk about the mask coming down and, and you're to put the mask on yourself first before helping others, it's not because we're selfish. It shouldn't be. <laughs> it's because if we don't invest in ourselves, take time to take care of ourselves, then we don't have any capacity to do for others and help those around us. So that's the habit seven, sharpen the saw. And it's the principles of renewal, of continuous improvement, of balance. So those are the seven habits of highly effective people in at least my opinion of what some of the principles are that are tied to each one. I hope I hope that was helpful. Absolutely. And listeners, you have just received a mini masterclass in the seven habits <laughs> from one of Franklin Covey's masters, Todd Davis. Todd, could you give a 30 second pitch for why people who have not yet bought or read the seven habits of highly effective people, why they should go out and consider purchasing this 30th anniversary edition? Well, because every one of these principles it's not just that you can find a way to apply them. They are actually what drive me every day in both my professional and my personal life. You will find them more than relevant, but extremely helpful, regardless of what you're dealing with, whether it's in a time of crises, whether it's a time when things are going well, for you to ground yourselves. And, and, and again, I'm not saying this because this is the organization for which I work. I'm saying this because of my Nearly, I read the book before I started working for the company, but I've been with the company for nearly 25 years. My, my 26 years of experience with the seven habits has kept me grounded, has kept me focused in times of, of challenge or crises, has kept me um, focusing on where we're going, being kind of the calm in the storm, helping me to positively influence others, helping me to have more empathy and understand a coworker who's dealing with a challenge or one of my family members who's dealing with a challenge to help me creatively cooperate with others so that we can really get to the other side of whatever the challenge or the problem is, to help me continually invest in myself and be more relevant today than I was last year and, and be more healthy and, 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 and all of the things that we just reviewed, it is, it is the best investment you will make in yourself, whether you're an individual contributor, whether you are a leader, whether you are in a profession, a work career, or whether you do things in your personal life that make a difference in, in volunteering and things like that, it will up your, your game and your your credibility and your influence and your the significant contribution that you and that we all want to make in the world, it will be a, a tremendous resource for that. Todd, you've done a great job of giving us an overview of the importance of the seven habits of highly effective people. Now all we need to do is get people to the bookstore to get the book. So where can people go to get the book and find more about what Franklin Covey does if what you've said has connected with them today and they want to know more about what you offer and how they can grow as a leader through your organization? Well, that, that's wonderful. The book the, the book can be found, and, and again, just so amazing to me, but can be found in all major bookstores, can certainly be found on Amazon and all online stores. It's uh, a very well-known book. And then to learn more about us and, and Franklin Covey, just simply go to our website, which is our name, www.franklincovey.com. Todd, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Joshua. I appreciate it. 
I hope today's episode was a great refresher for you or maybe even an introduction to these seven habits for the first time. If you'd like to purchase a copy of this 30th anniversary edition of The 7 Habits, you can find a link to that in the show notes, either in your podcast player or at lifeasleadership.com slash 087. Now, let's go ahead and go to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. Principles in general, and more specifically, the principles of effectiveness that help to form The 7 Habits, are true, universal, and timeless. This is something to keep in mind in your leadership. Are you building your leadership values, your leadership practices on principles, or are you perhaps building on things that provide a less solid and long-term foundation for what you want to build through your leadership? The second key takeaway is not so much from the interview, but I think it serves to show the enduring quality of the seven habits, and that's this. On the day I'm recording this, I had two different calls where people on those calls highlighted at least one of these habits, and I think it goes to show you how much of an impact this book has had on the way people think about business and leadership and the language we use to describe what it looks like to be an effective person. And for the final key takeaway, I want to highlight one habit. And honestly, I could highlight any of them, but I think that there's one habit that would be really helpful for a lot of people to hear right now in a time where it's far too easy for a lot of us to sit back and make excuses for why we can't do all that we want to do. And that's habit one, be proactive. You have the opportunity to make your own choices and you're responsible for those choices. So Hold yourself accountable to being proactive or have someone else hold you accountable because you have the opportunity to not only make a difference but inspire other people around you to make a difference. Be proactive. Now, I hope you'll join us again later this week. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to lead effectively in an environment where businesses are more connected than ever and the world is more connected than ever. Our guest has some great insight for what that might look like for your leadership role. I hope to see you then, and until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. 
If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading wealth.